1: Yeah, I think a lot of times, all of us, uh, we become paralyzed by the enormity of the task. And it's easy to say, well, I can't solve world hunger. But Jesus never asks us to solve world hunger. He asks us to feed the person in front
0: of us. Hal Donaldson, the founder and president of Convoy of Hope, joins us today on Focus on the Family to give you some ideas for making a positive impact right where you are. Welcome to our program. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, all of us have a deep desire in our hearts to make our lives count for
2: something, and we want to do great things for the Lord, and that's good motivation. Uh, Lead people to Him help the hurting, uh, really do the gospel. But when we go through seasons like this one, uh, where there seems to be more hurt than ever before in our world, uh, there's suffering and poverty and injustice, it's easy to start uh, looking at our sparse bank accounts and think, how can I make a significant impact? And the truth is, one person can do more than you probably think. And I experienced that firsthand in high school with my coach, Paul Morrow. I've mentioned him several times. But that one football coach, he's led hundreds of young men to Christ in a public school. He's passed away just recently. Mm. I was at his funeral, and literally there were hundreds of his students there uh, remembering him and what he did for them. Mm. And that's just one life. So you can do it, and you can have an impact that is well beyond
0: uh, one person. You can. And uh, Hal Donaldson is here to share from his life experiences. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Convoy of Hope, a faith based nonprofit organization that focuses on disaster response and community outreach and children's feeding initiatives. And here at Focus, uh, Jim, we've partnered with Convoy a number of times in the past for disaster relief. So Uh, It's really an honor to have Hal with us.
1: Hal, welcome to the program. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for having me, John. Good to be with you. And uh, right at the beginning, I do want to say thank you. Thank you to focus on the family and all your listeners for just your generosity and partnering with us and enabling us really to meet more
2: needs. Well, it's been a pleasure, and you do a great job at Convoy of Hope, and uh, you know we do our homework, so we know you're doing a wonderful job, and thank you. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, I wanted to give you more exposure, really. But the key to this is really your childhood, what you grew up, uh, what the Lord did in your life. Uh, it gave you that motivation, so let's, let's go in that direction. Uh, you were that little boy facing horrible circumstances. I know your story. But share it with the listeners. Uh, what happened at a young age that kind of bent your heart toward taking care of others? Yeah. When
1: I was 12, I'm the oldest of four children. And, um, four boys, and right? Three boys and one girl. Okay. Three boys and one girl. Better make sure we get that right. Yeah, My sister sister's like going to come down on you. <laughs> that's you right. That's say. right. But, uh, At the age of 12, uh, my father was hit by a drunk driver, killed. My mother was in the car, seriously injured, couldn't work. And my parents didn't have insurance, and the man who hit them didn't have insurance. And so the family was forced to survive on welfare and the generosity of neighbors and local churches. And so throughout my teen years, uh, you know, I I experienced the shame of poverty. Uh, I know what it's like to go into a supermarket with uh, food stamps in your hand. Mm. I know what it's like to go to school with holes in your shoes and holes in your jeans, and that's before it's cool. It was cool to have holes in your jeans, right. you know what I mean? before you paid for it. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and then the cupboards were often empty, and so you didn't have a sack lunch as well. And, but again, it was a generosity of people. And as a teenager, you know, it, it really caused me to ask a lot of questions about the goodness of God. But it was the kindness of people that, really, I was able to connect the dots to the goodness of God.
2: Well, let's start with that young yeah. couple that, you know, they heard about what happened. I don't know their connection. Uh, who were they, and what did they do that was the first kind of eye-opener of generosity?
1: Yeah, that first night when the police came to tell us my dad was dead, my mom was fighting for her life, um, wow. the police officers stepped up to the porch because another number of neighbors and friends had gathered around our house. And the police officer said, is there anyone here? Who's willing to take the four children home with them tonight if not we'll take the children downtown to the station and that night uh, one couple young couple raised their hands and they said we'll take them wow
2: and you did, they didn't know you really they, they knew us
1: they knew oh, so us. So as but,
2: neighbors yes okay. great
1: people uh they had been in our church and uh huh. and they had but all they had was a trailer a single white trailer and oh, so wow. here they are you know essentially adopting a family and they may have thought it was a one- or two-night sleepover, but we ended up staying with them for about a year mm-hmm. uh, in that single-wide trailer. But they just wrapped their arms around us, showed us love.
2: And his name was Bill? Bill Davis. Bill exactly Davis. Right. You say in the book he put his arm around you that first night and said something special to you. What was it? He did. He was uh,
1: just a very caring man, and he saw that I was hurting, and he said, hey, Hal, listen to me. Don't allow the tragedy of your youth to become a lifelong excuse Because where you start
2: in life doesn't have to dictate where you end. Man, that is powerful. It really is. Did it grab you as a 12-year-old? Did you get it? Did you understand it? Or did you have to let that play out to fully understand it? No,
1: I think I I did understand it, although I had times of doubt, you know, times where I really questioned the goodness of God. I questioned whether God was good or whether God was impotent. Why did he let this happen? Did it just happen by chance? Those kind of questions. Which are fair. I mean, those are fair questions. They are fair questions. They are, absolutely. And I think... uh, If it hadn't been for the kindness of people throughout my teenage years, I wouldn't be sitting with you today. Yeah. And that kept me from getting angry and bitter. Uh, They wrapped their arms around me, showed me love. Let me ask you a tough
2: question because uh, I've had to struggle with this too. You know my story as an orphan kid and we share that common, you know, unfortunately that common reality. But... I have honestly come to the conclusion, I think my siblings have as well, which is to say that if for all of us to come to the Lord, to live for the Lord, if we had to go through all that again, we would do it. Do you feel that way? I do. I do. I believe in God's scheme of
1: things, he took my father's mangled automobile and he transformed it into a fleet of compassion trucks Wow! Uh, that are crisscrossing our country today, offering help and hope to millions of people. So um, although me- it's hard to understand... I do believe God had a
2: plan. I mean, that is, that's a wow statement. I mean, you think about that. So really, you could say that your tragedy was able to lead you to helping others directly. You feel that connection.
1: I do. I think as you used the word bent earlier, and that's that's what I believe God did. He bent my heart to poor and suffering people. Mm-hmm. And not that I didn't have my times of selfishness and uh, self-centeredness, I did. But um, I never could forget the kindness of people.
2: It is kind of that thing when we're at our darkest point that's normally where the Lord shows up in such a big way, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, it's, it may be a whisper when things are good because we're distracted from hearing his voice. That's right. But man, when the chips are down and you're on your knees the Lord's going to show up. He's not going to leave Mm -hmm, you out mm -hmm. there. Right on. And I would definitely encourage you to get engaged with the local church. And, you know, I I think even if your motives aren't pure, saying, you know, I need help, just show up. See what the Lord does. Take him up on that, and hopefully his people will answer. And I know they will. Um, Let's get to disruptive compassion. Uh, First, where's the title coming from, and what does disruptive compassion mean? You know, I was
1: speaking at, at the University of Missouri and uh, after the speech, a number of students came up to an open microphone to ask any question they wanted. And this is what I heard that night. One student after the other saying, hey, I want my life to count. I just don't really know what to do. And so coming home that night, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if I wrote a playbook for people who want their lives to count, but they don't know what to do. And so that's what disruptive compassion is. It's, it's disrupting your everyday life in such a way that it changes the status quo. And uh, the book is... Uh, it gives you step by step what you can do to make your life count in a bigger way
2: in a hurting world that sounds so compelling especially for young people cuz yeah. they you know they see a lot of i guess nothingness around yeah. them you know why are people striving for stuff yeah. cars houses all that kind of thing we seem to be striving for comfort what's so amazing about the lord is i do think he works generationally he puts a sense of direction a compass in generations to move one way to the point where sociologists can even describe it—the builders, the boomers, etc.—there usually is an adjective that comes along with the generation because there's something descriptive about that generation. Authenticity is one that's being applied to the 20, 30 somethings right now, and those that are younger. And I think this message really appeals to them to say, "I don't want to just do Christianity." in an orthodox way. That's good. But I want to actually roll up my sleeves and get involved. It's a little different than previous generations where we'll go make a lot of money vocationally and we'll cut a check to the church or to church, which is great. But they actually want to get dirty in, yeah, in the streets. Right. Do that's you right. see that?
1: Absolutely true. And the book, one of the key uh, points of the book is that just uh, do the next kind thing that Jesus puts in front of you. Uh, Jesus wants to help the world and help hurting people more than we do. He's just looking for people who are willing. So
2: just do the next kind thing he puts in front of you. You went through a host of emotions, your teen years, your 20-somethings. One of those things you talked about was apathy. Yeah. You can get to the point where you're just going... It's overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, how many people can you get to an intersection that have a sign saying out of work, mm-hmm. need help? And of course, you see those stories in the news about people who abuse that. They're actually making tax free money and they're pulling in fifty, sixty grand a year standing on the corner. And I'll confess, I think about that. Sure. Um, I've been also on a trip with Ray Vanderlaan, who does our That the World May Know series. When you go to Israel with Ray, if there's a beggar on the street, he's always putting something in the can because he said, very straightforwardly, God expects you to do that. What that person does with it is their responsibility before God, but you should never pass a beggar without putting something mm. in their can. Mm. Isn't that interesting? It's a great word. Because God honors that, yes. even if the person dishonors that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've kind of wrestled with that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think a lot of times, all of us,
1: uh, we become paralyzed by the enormity of the task and it's easy to say, well, I can't solve world hunger, but Jesus never asks us to solve world hunger. He asks us to feed the person in front of us, mm. and, which is what you're talking yeah. about. You know? And I think if all of us begin to live that kind of a life, uh, move beyond compassion, quite honestly, to
2: selflessness, yeah. uh, the world will be a different place. Well, I hope we continue to grow in that area. There's always room for improvement. So much of the human experience is room for improvement, right? That's the goal. Um, You also mentioned an encounter that you had with Mother Teresa. Now, I I had a brief encounter at the National Prayer Breakfast observing her in a setting that was phenomenal when she, you know, this is during the Clinton administration, and she was the keynote speaker at the breakfast, and Mr. and Mrs. Clinton were there when he was president, and she turned to them and said, I take care of the downtrodden. Give me your children. Don't abort them. Hmm. And everybody stood except them. I mean, everybody stood and applauded. It was a poignant moment of what life meant to her. And if you don't want your poor and you're broken, I'll take them. Mother Teresa, bring them to Calcutta. I mean, it was phenomenal. What what did she say to you that made such an impact?
1: Yeah. You know, I think um, when you're raised poor um, you know your quest becomes not to be poor anymore and so that certainly was my quest as I got out of college and uh, began my career I received a book writing contract that took me to Calcutta India and when I landed my hosts they said there's someone we want you to interview for our book and they took me over to meet Mother Teresa and uh, I was in my late twenties, and you know, somewhat surreal. Quite honestly, uh, I'm not sure what I expected, but she was a lot different than what I expected. Very down to earth, very humble, um, very, and, little. Uh, yeah, very little. She's very. That's right. She wasn't very tall. That's right.
2: She's five foot two or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. And um, so, in the course of the interview, she just kind of stopped me, and she said, "Young man, let me ask you a question. What are you doing to help the poor and the suffering?" And I figured it was probably not a good idea to lie to Mother Teresa, right? You know, I told her the truth. I said, I'm really not doing much of anything. And her response was, everyone can do something. And uh, Jim and John, those words were haunting to me. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was really the beginning of Convoy of Hope because I began to see, hey, I can do so much more. And in I'm that
2: done. function, I mean, you were a journalist, correct? And yes, you, were, you thought you were going to make your way there financially. Yeah, that but was my goal. You realize that journalism doesn't pay <laughs> right, that great right. <laughs> unless you're on television. <laughs> that's correct. But uh, that's kind of amazing. Speak to that transition, though. I mean, you turned it into a vocation to some degree that you went from being a journalist Mother Teresa's challenged you, and then you started Convoy of Hope, right? Um, which is an amazing thing. For some people, that's well, that's great for Hal Donaldson. I mean, right. that convicted him. But I'm running my own little mom and pop shop, and I, I don't see giving that up to go start a, a hunger program. Right. So, you know, why did that meet that need in your heart? And what do you say to that mom and pop? small business owner who would love to do that, but, you know, they're given to the church. They're maybe given to Focus and other parachurch groups, and they're doing their thing, and they're helping Convoy of Hope. Sure. Speak to both sides of that equation.
1: Yeah. You know, I I believe that uh, when we came back from Calcutta, I never really intended to uh, get involved in feeding the poor. That really wasn't um, the goal. It was I saw a need, and I responded to that need. And I think vision, in God's scheme of things, vision tends to be incremental, that God uh, asks us to do one thing, we're obedient to that one thing, and then He'll show us the next thing, and you yeah, have no idea where it will lead. Mm-hmm. You know, I never thought it would lead to convoy of hope. I'm, I'm glad God didn't show me this, uh, what it would become, because if He had, it would have freaked <laughs> me out. Totally freaked <laughs> me out. I'm out of here. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I think it's it's just doing that simple thing He
0: puts in front of you, and you have no idea where it will lead. This focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
2: I literally just fell on the floor of the kitchen and I said, Lord, I don't think I can do this. And I said, you know what, I, I need help. Um, I need to know that I, I'm not the only one. Employed full-time and raising two girls, Sarane felt overwhelmed.
0: I truly think that God uses focus on the family and the guests um, to bring hope,
2: um, especially to young moms, working moms, or even a stay-at-home moms. I'm Jim Daly. Working together, we can encourage more moms like Serenay and help them grow in their relationship with the Lord, especially during this pandemic. When you support Focus on the Family, you're strengthening marriages, equipping parents, and sharing God's good news with those who need it most. Can we count on your generosity today? Visit focusonthefamily.ca slash give to learn more. Or call 800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Imagine reaching into your pocket right now and finding an extra 20 bucks or checking your wallet and finding a nice 50 tucked inside. If you
0: like the sound of this, join the thousands of people who are finding extra money every month through DL Deeks Insurance. Stop paying ridiculous rates for car insurance. Contact DL Deeks today and tell them you want to save your money. Deeksinsurance.ca.
2: That's Deeks, D E E K S insurance.ca.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. This is Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and our guest today is Hal Donaldson. His book, Disruptive Compassion, Becoming the Revolutionary You Were Born to Be, is available from us when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.ca. Hal, let's jump into some ideas that uh, anyone can use
2: to make an impact. Uh, you have a story about a man giving a coat and uh, starting a chain reaction. I think this is a great yeah. story. Yeah. What well, happened? Well, we were at a community outreach, one that had
1: attracted about 5,000 people, and it began to rain. And, uh, you know, we have multiple tents. It's like a huge carnival. And um, it began to rain. and It was lot, cold. Too, it right? was really cold. And a number of the guests did not have coats. Um, one man thought... Uh, hey, I'm going to take the coat off of my back and put it on someone else's, a young man. And so he takes this very expensive leather jacket, puts it on, drapes it on another person. Well, it didn't stop there. Another person did it, then another person, and then dozens of people did it. Mm. And they were just putting coats on people, and it was just so amazing. I think it's a great... Reminder, when we do what Jesus is asking us to
2: do, other
1: people are likely to come
2: along with us. Yeah. But one of the things it requires is context. You had to have yep. that event, obviously, yep. that somebody could demonstrate that kind of love and compassion and caring and give away literally the coat off their back. That's right. And that helps when you have you know, the church acting like that in an environment where it's going to be seen. Another story that really, uh, man, it gripped my heart, it's right out of the Bible, was the woman who didn't have much coming up to you and giving you something. What was that about? Yeah, I was speaking at a conference, and um, I stepped off the uh,
1: platform with my host, um, the MC of the seminar, and um, I could see a woman running all the way from the back of the auditorium. And as she got closer, I noticed that... uh, her sandals were tattered. Uh, her dress was probably two sizes too large. And, um, but she came, and I wasn't sure if she was going to tackle me or hug me. You know? <laughs> she, was <coming laughs> yeah, she was coming fast. She was coming fast. And so you know, she threw her arms around me, and she whispered in my ear. She said, use this to feed a hungry child. And she squeezed two $1 bills into my hand. Mm. And as she was walking away, the host leaned over to me, and he said, uh, Hal, you need to know that woman is homeless. And she probably gave you all she has. I carried those $2. I replaced those $2, gave those to Convoy of Hope. But I carried those $2 in my wallet for a number of years as a good reminder, you know, of the sacrifice that people make for others and that when people give to Convoy of Hope, we need to make sure we use those precious funds wisely.
2: Well, it's right out of Scripture, right? The it woman is. who gave, Jesus said, gave more than anybody else. And she was a poor woman who gave pennies. That's right. And he said, she's given more than... Everybody
0: else. That's mm. right. It makes me think of somebody that challenged me and just said, "You can't outgive God." Yeah. Even though I might only have two bucks left in my wallet, um, maybe he's saying, "Don't let your security be in those those dollar bills. Just go ahead and give them when the opportunity comes."
2: Let's move to your idea of creating that bucket list. Of course, there's a movie I think that by that title. Right. But uh, what? does your bucket list look like? And if we haven't thought about that, I mean, Gene and I have, I think we got one item on our bucket list and we want to get to the Northeast in the fall. We would love to experience (laughs) that, but uh, let's enlarge my bucket list. What's yours look like? Yeah. Well, I think um, this is a bucket list
1: generation. You know, I think um, I wrote my bucket list when I was 50. My kids wrote theirs when they were 12. Uh, it's just, oh, wow. it's a different generation. <laughs> what was
2: a couple of theirs. I just yeah. want to know at 12.
1: Oh, I, I want to travel the world. I want to go okay. all the way around the world, yeah. you know, or places they want to go to. And, um, you know, I think when you are looking for your mission in life, it's important to write out your bucket list. What are some things you want to accomplish? I want to go to the Northeast, or in my case, I want to go to Antarctica. You want to go some places. But what are some things that if God would help you you'd like to do for God and do for the world. Mm. And so in the book, I actually list my bucket list and, uh, of things I want to do for God, but also things I want to do
2: while I'm still here walking the earth. I like that idea, too, because the Lord wants you to have a joyful experience. Absolutely. He gives you this gift of life. And I, I don't think it's selfish to put going to Antarctica. Right. It's kind of fun to go see what he created down there, right? That's right. And That's right. Uh, I think he enjoys that attitude of discovery because that is in our hearts. And I think it's a nature or an attribute of God. I do too. Personally. I do too. Um, you say something in the book that catches my attention as well. It's not every mission should be your mission. Yeah. That can be hard because, man, we, you know, every day we're saying, hey, join us here at Focus. Be part of the family movement. Help us strengthen marriages. I'm kind of sold out to that. I want yes. everybody to right. participate in that. But I get it. Not everybody's going to have a passion for that, even yeah. though you should. But uh, <laughs> no, speak to that idea of not every mission is going to be your mission.
1: Yeah, I, I believe we have a responsibility to do reconnaissance. We need to go out and see needs, see the world. We're not going to respond to cries we don't hear. We're not going to respond to needs we don't see. And so we need to get out and out of the house and out of the bubble, if you will, and see needs. And uh, once we do that, uh, God speaks to us. He speaks to us with clarity. It moves from being just uh, something that maybe burdens you to something you have to do.
2: And uh, but it begins with you going out and seeing needs that 's a good place to start and finish i 'm um, thinking of that mom and dad. We have young you know families that listen to us they 're st- wanting to strengthen their marriage they 're wanting to parent well and we 're grateful for each one of you. Trust me. Um, speak to two things that might relate to them: one is the lack of discretionary income i mean they 've got it all out there they 're taking care of the rent or the mortgage and the grocery bill and maybe some nursery care and some other things. If you don't have much to give, what are some things you can do that may not require a lot of cash, but you can actually participate?
1: You know, the book is filled with stories or examples of what you can do, but let me just maybe center on one. Uh, Jim, I think America today has an epidemic of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And the solution to loneliness is not money, it's people. connection connection yeah Yeah. and whether it's a zoom call a phone call a letter a note an email we can connect with people and let them know that they're not alone and uh, I feel like um, right now that is so critical for each of us to say we're not going to allow people to be lonely anymore they don't have to be
2: lonely and that doesn't cost a dime think of that I mean what Mm -hmm. an impressive statement I'm going to look for loneliness and be a remedy to that that right there is amazing you know, as we're wrapping up, Hal, again, Convoy of Hope, what an amazing thing God has done with your orphan life, if I could say it that uh, way, and you. you know what I mean by that, yes. and how he's turned that around. Your pain has turned into passion. But I also want to think of um, a great story you had in the book, and what a wonderful place to end, about a young man that you met who had a, a similar childhood to you, but a very different life outcome. What did you learn about his life compared to yours? Yeah. He's gang member,
1: drug dealer. Um, and he was, uh, I asked him to tell me his story. Mm. And as he began to tell his story, it mirrored mine, except for one thing. He didn't have someone that came and wrapped their arms around him like they did for me. Mm. He was alone. Yeah. And out of his aloneness, he turned to gangs and he turned to drugs. And, um, you know, in that moment, Jim, I just was so grateful. Yeah. Uh, I live with a, a great sense of gratitude, I do, um, for all that God did through people to show me that he loved me. And I think, you know, if I could just jump to COVID-19, you know, uh, Convoy of Hope through more than a 1,000 churches has now distributed um, more than 25 million meals uh, to a 1,000 churches over across the country. And um, we're seeing churches uh, set up distribution centers in their parking lots. Mm. And so I'm seeing Christians by the thousands wrap their arms around people and telling them that they matter, that they mm. care. And it's making a huge difference.
2: Well, and that's beautiful. That is how the body of Christ should work. And I am uh, mindful of that. You think of the folks and even the tension in the country, If there was a mentor, a friend for so many people that are despondent, that are hopeless. That's right. Because they don't have that person in their corner. They don't have somebody to say, hey, you matter. You're created in God's image. He has a life for you that is opposite to the uh, scripture in John 10.10. The thief uh, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you might have life. And more abundantly. And that's what you're providing. Mm -hmm. I love what you do, Hal. Uh, You're a brother to me. Thank and I'm you. glad that we can work together from time to time when those catastrophes occur. Thank you. And the listeners and supporters of Focus have been generous. Yeah. And uh, stay tuned. There's going to be something that happens that we're going to have the web page up, and we want you to help support what Convoy of Hope is doing mm-hmm. to bring uh, God's shalom, his peace, into this chaotic world. Hal, thanks for being with us. Oh, I'm so
1: honored, and uh, I love what you do. Yeah. I love Focus on the Family. And Jim and John, thank you for inviting me today. <laughs>
2: Let me turn to the listener or the viewer and uh, make sure that you know you can get a copy of Hal's wonderful book, Disruptive Compassion, right here at Focus. And remember, when you order that resource through Focus, uh, all the dollars go back to support ministry. So we're not paying shareholders. I'd much prefer you get it through Focus than going to an online retailer who, you know, it's efficient, but um, those dollars don't go into ministry and we would love for
0: you to participate in ministry with us. Yeah, join the team and make a difference. Uh, these broadcasts are possible because of your support. And uh, you can get the book and make a donation when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or online at focusonthefamily.ca. Hal, before we end, I want you and the listeners to know. Do you know that
2: 800 people a day come to Christ through Focus on the Family? Incredible! I love that. That's amazing. That's kind of the foundation to it all, right? Oh, incredible! So yeah, we're thrilled with that. So help us reach no, others. That for is Christ. job
0: one for us: is to introduce people to Christ. And uh, if you want to be part of changing the world, uh, consider a contribution to this ministry. Again, our number is 800. The letter A and the word family.